Love Nightmare presents Love the Conversation. The UK's first digitally interactive talk Bear. show hosted by radio and podcast host Dion London. Do not miss out on your chance to be part of some of the most explosive debates concerning culture, life struggles and community. Our rotating panel of experts and experienced individuals will kick off the conversation with 50-50 audience interaction. Join us on the 28th of April 2019 at 4.30pm at the Croydon Park Hotel. Tickets are £15 plus booking fee and available on Eventbrite. Just search for Love Laid Bear. Be part of the conversation. Hi, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. You are listening to Love Laid Bear, and I am, of course, your host, Dion. Um, So, guys, if you are listening to this, this is uh, slightly pre-recorded, so we are still within the week of Love Laid Bear's first birthday. So, um... (laughs) Thank you, Cats, for my guest there. So, yeah, um, whilst I... I was just I was just saying to my guest actually whilst it has kind of appeared that I've been having a whale of a time this birthday week it actually hasn't been that great um yeah some stuff has happened but I'll go into that on another episode but for now um I am joined by a very 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 like you know like when people say I've known this person for a long time I've actually known this person (laughs) you know so long right that it makes you remember actually how old you are and even though you still think you're 16 you're not really 16 mm, anymore are I agree you? I, no, do you know what? I completely agree we've gone through um hair loss that's how long yeah. I used to have some sort of hair back then <laughs> <laughs> so um I'm very pleased to introduce you guys to Marco Viri he's a behavior specialist um welcome to lovely bear Mark oh do you know what Dion, thank you very much indeed for having me. It's, yeah, no uh, it's, I know we had a brief conversation yesterday on the Instagram live. Yes. I feel famous now. That's what you're making me feel. I feel oh. famous. Um, but you got, yeah. You got a lot of love last night, actually, to be fair. Oh, really? You did, yeah. Watch it back. You'll see. You got a lot of love last night. Yeah, do you know what? I I was trying to record it, actually, to be honest with you. I was trying to, like, download the app so I could record, like, the actual thing itself so I could watch myself back. And all I was doing was watching myself back thinking, mm, why was I moving my head like this? Then I thought, do you know what? I'll watch it later yeah, on in the yeah. week. Mm. I try to save it as well, but I've what I'm realizing now because this is the second or third no, this is the third Instagram live I've done that won't save. So although it says you can save it, for some reason doesn't save. Oh. So I don't know if it's because of how long we were talking for. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to probably go back and try and screen record. Do you know what I'm gonna find? Yeah, that's what I did yesterday. I'll find you the app. Oh, okay. There's an actual so app. Least, yeah, there's an app. So literally, you can just press screen record. It's like it comes up on the side. Press screen record. It record everything. That okay. Mm. Okay. Wicked. Um, so yeah. So last night we were speaking about um, the fact that you had been, you know, diagnosed with ADHD, yeah. anxiety, and depression mm-hmm. last year, and then mild autism. On and top mild of that autism. Well. Yeah, okay. So on the autistic spectrum. So, um, so guys, this episode is going to be centered um, around mental health but Mark's story so like I was saying to Mark I don't know his story I don't know I guess since we left college I don't really know what's kind of really happened for you no, in that no, time not at all, actually, no. you know so do you want to where do you want to start from yeah do you know what um I'll start from so again yeah Marco Veri um some people may know me as Apple this is how far we're going back now some people uh, know me yeah, by Apple. my first name Apple Fore. Yes, um yeah there's yes, all these jokes yeah there's not going to be an episode for me discussing why these names came up. So uh, we're just going to leave it as that. But um, where do I start? Yeah, so the, we left college 
what was that, 17, 18? Yeah. A bit long, yeah, 18. Yeah. 18 I mean, even if you want to start from before then, like if you want to start from maybe when you maybe first noticed things from childhood. Yeah, or... do you know what I will do actually? Um, it's funny, so I'll talk about the present and then that will then gain some understanding as to why, what happened in the present mm-hmm. and where it led to from like the past and etc. So last year, January, I started my um, campaign. I thought to myself, do you know what? There are things that are happening in my life um, that I just don't understand why these things are happening. Mm-hmm. It's I'll be speaking to people and people would take what I'm saying or misconstrue it or people would then think, what are you saying? Or why are you talking like that? Or why are you behaving this way? And it was just the same general consensus. Like, Mark, you're such a lovely person. You've got such a pure heart. You've got such a good heart. So where did this bit come from? Or okay. why did you do this? And you know, eventually you get tired of it. As uh, as you get older, you start slowing down. I've got children, um, I've got a partner. And it's just getting to that stage where I think, I don't want to continue making the same mistakes. I don't want to continue to do the same things. I'm not in the same frame of mind where beforehand, I guess I could go and do things to divert whatever thoughts I had. So I could go and just get up and get in my car and go raving on that day. But yeah. I don't want to do those things anymore. There's a lot more that I want to achieve. So... Last January, I went to my GP. I said to them that I had done a lot of research on something called borderline personality disorder. So it's not the same as bipolar. Okay. Um, So borderline personality disorder is where you... It's it's quite intrinsic in the fact that there's a lot of elements that are linked to some of the behaviours. So it would have stemmed from childhood and it would have been things that I had witnessed growing up or it might have been ways in which I was talked to growing up. And ultimately what happens is you kind of put a shroud over yourself and mm-hmm. you start adopting various things in order to showcase yourself in the best light. Right, okay. And um, unfortunately that's what I did. So growing up I'll talk about that momentarily but um so january that's what i went to the gp for and when i went to the gp they prescribed me with um citalopram which is an antidepressant so it's for anxiety and for depression so they said you know we'll prescribe this to you firstly whilst we then um can't remember the word that they use now you know when they send something off so they'll make the referral right okay Mm -hmm. so I started taking this medication and I noticed that it did help me because a lot of people were saying, oh, you shouldn't take medication, you know, bun that medication, you shouldn't be taking that, there's natural ailments and etc. But you have to do what's best for you. Yeah, of course. And mm-hmm. I've been on that journey where I'm always the one that tries to sort out why I've done something wrong. I will look at the elements that I've done wrong mm-hmm. in a situation. Um, unfortunately, I can't control other people. So if other people don't want to take responsibility for their part, then... I'm never going to get the answer I need. Right. So all I can do is kind of look at myself, crit, like look at my actions, look at how I do things, and then say, okay, don't do it that way. Next mm-hmm. time, try this way. Um, so did that. So I started taking this medication, citalopram. I started off, I think, on 20 milligrams. So I started off from that, but I still noticed the anxiety within myself. So just to kind of describe anxiety to people, mm-hmm. because it comes in many different forms, forms my yeah. anxiety was where... For instance, I'll be playing some loud music in my car. So I'm in my car, I'm playing loud music. It might not be music that everybody wants to listen to. Yeah. Um, and the music, some of the words, etc. Um, some people might think like, oh my God, why are you playing that type of music? So it could be something as simple as I could be sitting at a traffic light, still got my music loud. Somebody looks in a car. 
I then perceive them to be looking at me in a way that I already don't feel good about myself anyway. Okay. So I then end up turning the music down. Or it could be where I look at somebody and I think, oh, maybe that person wants to hear me play this and that might make them think I'm cool, cool. even though I don't right. even know that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would either change my music or I'll turn it down. And while some people just be in their car drive off like, okay, that person looked at me, I don't really care about that. That feeling could stay with me for weeks or months. Wow. So then I'm thinking, what did that person think, think of me? Of me? Oh, did I that see. person think that I was a weirdo? Did that person think, oh my God, look at the way he's dressed. He's dressed really smart, but he's listening to that type of music. So he must be threatening. So I was always over analyzing every single situation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that takes a toll in itself mm-hmm. because you overanalyze everything. And then unfortunately what happens if somebody then says something that isn't very pleasant or isn't very nice, that can then make your mood decline even more. Mm-hmm. And then the energy it takes to just get back up to what you feel is your norm is already draining. So you don't have that energy left to then go above and beyond. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found out with that anxiety thing. So um, I took the tablets and I realized it did make things better. It's like I could feel the feelings of anxiety, but my reactions weren't the same. Um, but unfortunately, there were still situations happening where I had then had to increase my medication. So I'm at the top end of it now. So I take 40 milligrams of it and by doing that, it has stabilised me in a way because situations like this, for instance, uh, I know I could be quite awkward anyway. And there would be moments where I'd be like shaking and tapping and doing whatever it is and moving my hands everywhere, which I still do now because that's mm-hmm. part of me. But like my hands would be sweating. I'd be thinking, oh my God, what's Dion thinking? Is she thinking that this is good? Is she thinking this is bad? Mm-hmm. Overanalyzing so many different things. Either I can't get my words out. Yeah. I try to sound more intellectual than I need to. So I'm then trying to portray a person that doesn't, I don't need to be that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's learning to kind of accept all my flaws. So that was January. um, And that was my journey taking acetalopram. And then in August, I got a phone call from Bethlehem. So Bethlehem's a mental health hospital, if we want to look at it like that. And that's in Shirley. So for those that might not know what Bethlehem is, if I can liken it to something, it would be like the equivalent of Mortley. And, you know, that's quite scary because for me, I kind of touched on it yesterday. I'm, I know I'm quite intellectual. I know that much. I know that I am clever in some aspects anyway. And so to be made to feel like, oh my God, this is where I've got to go. And I know that, you know, there's all varying types of mental health that's dealt with in that hospital as well. But I've got a person that's really strong and helped me to kind of see that journey through. And I went and I sat down and I talked to a doctor there and the doctor just asked me to, very similar to this, just speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Although the questions were more geared towards answers that they needed to then fit that around the tests. So I had like three sessions with this doctor particularly where I had to take various tests to see how heightened certain feelings were at certain times Mm -hmm. Um, I had to talk about kind of my upbringing a bit and where I've come from and how I've got to the point I am now and in August towards the end of it that's when I was diagnosed with ADHD and mild autism and then there was the kind of severe depression severe anxiety sorry and depression all within that kind of um things so it was a huge relief to be diagnosed I take medication for that now so that's called Concerta XL and 
for an adult, so it's an adult dosage. Right. Um, the highest you can take is 102 milligrams. I currently take 72 milligrams. So I take 72 milligrams in the form of a 54 milligram tablet, an 18 milligram tablet, and I still take citalopram, which is the antidepressant, the kind of anxiety, right, depression okay. one. Mm-hmm. So I'm still on 40. So every morning I have to take this medication just to be able to function, just to be able to concentrate, just to be able to be the person I know is within me. Yes. But it's very hard to display down to the fact that I've had to kind of find coping mechanisms over the years. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, I don't have the greatest of family networks in that sense. Um, there are still a lot of things that I'm discovering about my family, even at the age I am now, that I have only found through various links and Facebook, predominantly some of them, um, where people have reached out to me. But they won't share the entire story. So it's like... It's really weird in the fact that I know who I am, but I don't know where I've come from. I see, okay. Um, so I have a, I have my mum, I have my dad, um, I have sisters, but I don't know where I've come from in that sense. There was a lot of things kept away from us growing up, so I couldn't really get to know my parents in, in the way that I think naturally you should get to know your parents. Okay. So there were a lot of unanswered questions. And through these unanswered questions, unfortunately, I learned the wrong coping habits. I picked up things that I shouldn't have picked up. Growing up, I was put down so much by my father. So my father would kind of say, you wouldn't amount to much. Or when I couldn't understand something or I couldn't get it right, he would then say, well, you're not really clever anyway, are you? And there was a lot of kind of put down there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is a hard thing for me to even talk about now because in effect, I'm talking about things that, you know, a lot of people, I think they suppress it. Yes, they do. And, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, people call them various names and you don't want to be called those names. So, you know, it's that kind of, no, I'm not that type of person at all. And you put up this front and etc. But in the end, I ended up becoming a liar. That's the easiest way to kind of put it. So because I was put down so much and because I wasn't happy within myself and I didn't feel like I fit into any mold. So, you know, going to school and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you see these boys with... Like, they just seem really cool and they seem really quirky and they had good hairlines. It's all down to even things like that. Um, and I never possessed any of that. I, I felt so well, low hairline. about myself. Yeah, so well, it's even like, in college? I remember, yeah, college, it weren't really there anymore. But um, it's like, this is going back to even school now. So when I was oh, wow. in secondary school and stuff like that, it would be like, I would look at a friend. Um, if you remember, Genuine was quite big. Yes, 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 yes. And so you'd look at him and... I remember I had a couple of friends where they had that type of hair. So when they were getting their hair cut, it just looked all outlined. And I couldn't do that because I wasn't able to go to the barbers. And I didn't have the hair type for that. And I just felt really clunky and really tall and quite ugly, to be honest with you. So Mm. I started lying. Um, And I remember starting lying from an early age as well. I would lie to A, not receive what I was receiving at home. And secondly, to kind of impress people, because I felt so low, I would say to people, yeah, you know, I've done this, I've done that, and I've done this. And it felt like people accepted me for me. Mm-hmm. But then these lies, they get unraveled, and then people start saying, well, he's a bit untrustworthy. I don't, why would you lie about something like that? Because it was never anything massive. The worst thing, it was never anything big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It were always small little things that people say, well, why do you need to be that way? Why are you lying about that? Why would you be that type of person? And it was tough. It was really tough because it's not the type of person I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I didn't set out to become a liar, but unfortunately in my household, lying was the easiest way for me to not receive what I was receiving at home. 
So what do you mean in terms of like physical punishment? Yeah, so I'd say physical chastisement. Um, It goes a lot deeper than that. I won't talk about that necessarily now, but it goes a lot deeper than that. A lot of these things were psychological. A lot of it was psychological abuse. A lot of it was physical abuse that somebody shouldn't have to witness at that age anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was towards myself, sisters, and also my mum, unfortunately. So there was a lot of things that, had I processed that and thought that those were the way in which men should be, yeah, I would be a very nice man now. Man, right? No, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I think my my what I learned from that is I learned that I couldn't talk out, I couldn't say what I really wanted to say, I couldn't say what I really wanted to feel, and so because I felt low and worthless, in all honesty, I started lying to make myself seem bigger. Okay. And I remember my first lie actually was about it was telling my friends in school that I had a girlfriend because they, at the times they all had a girl and they all used to say to me, why can't you get a girl and laughing at me and stuff like that? So I remember I just came out of it once and, you know, for a split moment, they were like, oh my God, so you do have one. And then obviously that all unraveled and found out I didn't. Mm-hmm. And then I was kind of the laughing stock and it just continued, it continued and it continued and it continued and it continued. And this is the vicious cycle with not understanding mental health mm. because like I said yesterday, I can't excuse some of the stuff I've done because at the end of the day, I've, I've had to live with what I've done. And, you know, it's not beaten, like, again, in the grand scheme of things, it's not where I've gone out and licked somebody down or done yeah. anything like that at all. I'm just talking about the way in which I have come across to people and then for people to find out things and they say, well, why have you done this? Why do you need to do that? Yeah. Um, those are things I have to live with and because of guilt and because of anxiety and stuff, these things sit with me. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I can say sorry to somebody and they know I genuinely mean it. But in my head, I think, well, maybe sorry wasn't enough for them. But there's no other way of showing, showing that, that, yes. mm-hmm. that I'm genuine mm-hmm. in regards to what I'm doing. So all of these things kind of culminated in regards to, if you remember yesterday as well, I was talking about the kind of behaviours and, and, and stuff like that. It's when even when people say, oh, but you're amazing and you can do this and you can yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Low self-esteem won't change that. So you can hear that. That goes in one ear and out goes the, out the other. other. Right. And it's like you kind of, on a self-destruct button, mm-hmm. it's, you hear the good, but you're not used to that feeling, but you're used to the feeling of always being put down. You're yeah, used to right. the feeling of being bad. So you end up ultimately kind of just going down that route anyway mm. and it's like you put yourself in that position because that's all you know yeah even though you don't want it that is all you know mm-hmm. and so fast forward you know i've always tried to find different ways in regards to not being a certain person not being a certain way not being this not being that trying to be a people person um trying to please people even though people say Do you know what, you're such a cool guy but i still not enough i still would be on this let me make them think I'm cooler. Let me just agree with what they're saying, for instance, or let me just take whatever they're saying for sake of avoiding an argument so there's no confrontation. Confrontation, right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I've done this now for, I'd say, 36 years I did that for. Obviously, I know when I was born, I was born, but for 36 years of my life, that's how I've been. And, you know, I sit here and if this was a couple of years ago, I would have felt ashamed of all of this and I wouldn't have done this platform at all because mm-hmm. to sit here and admit these things, you know, it's, it's the worst thing that I can do anyway for myself yeah. because mm-hmm. then it's all that kind of, oh my God, this goes out on air. What then happens? Yeah. But I have to be honest with myself and that was one of the aspects of the person I became mm-hmm. and it's only now through understanding kind of that I have these things that maybe that's why things felt so tough for me growing up 
because there was the kind of side of lying because of things that were happening. And when I said that I would go to the library, so going back again, sorry, when I said I would go to the library to my dad, that physical chastisement wasn't there. And so it was like, wow, when I said that I was going to Croydon, I got berated. But when I said that I'm going to the library, I didn't get berated. So those things made right. it seem mm -hmm. so much easier. Um, there was that and then there was being at school and always people saying oh but you're really clever you can do this you can do that but I didn't understand the work English I was really good at I was very 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 good at English but the rest of the work I just didn't get it maths couldn't get so do, so do you think then that you probably did suffer from autism from way back then yeah I, I you know looking back now six or seven years old mm -hmm. because my school reports from that age, even up to college. I know college, you don't get reports necessarily, mm -hmm. but it's even like the behaviours displayed in college. You could tell that there was something there because it would always be the same thing. He doesn't concentrate. He disturbs other children. He, it's always, it's all these low level things. He's not interested in work. He's not interested in school. And that was my school report throughout my entire life until I finished not finished education but up to the age of just after college before I went off to uni mm -hmm. those were the things that were prevalent okay. and so looking at that now that then makes me understand well that's why maybe some of these things were presented in this way because I'm trying to find coping mechanisms right I'm trying to deal with being put down being told I was ugly by family members and obviously when you're trying to talk to girls and etc mm -hmm. as you've grown older by them as well um people would always say something nice, but then it would be one thing nice, then 10 things wrong. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is about my character as well, but I, I feel people, I don't know if they find me a threat or whatever it is, but I'm really harmless as a person. Mm -hmm. I find that people are quick to put me down than they are to uplift me. Yeah. And say, actually, do you know what? You are good at this. And I can see that you're not trying to take over this and you're not trying to do this. You're not trying to be better than me. Mm -hmm. All I ever try to do is help. But I guess maybe the person that I present is a lot different to when some people actually really get to know no, me and realise yes. actually, yeah. do you know what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's far from this person. Yeah. I've just had to learn to kind of stand upright and walk tall and, and look as if I'm a certain way, mm -hmm. but inside I crumble. Mm. Mm. So let's, I mean, you've you've touched on quite a few, um, a few areas there. As you were talking, then you were, and you were kind of saying that pretty much that you don't really feel that confident most mm. of the time and stuff like that. And I was thinking, wow, like, it's amazing how the people that you assume are the most confident. So you're a very good M MC. <laughs> you know, I've been out and seen yeah. you rocking the crowd. Mm. So in those kind of moments, do you kind of, um, is that a different mark? Is that... You know, it's not. It's. I wouldn't even say necessarily it's a different mark at all. It's when I get on the when I get on the stage, I don't see anybody, and that's okay. the worst thing about it. Is I don't see anybody. So like sometimes I've gone out. I'll do what I'm doing. I know that the crowd appreciate what I do. I can see that. Yeah. So it's like I'm aware of these things happening, but half of the time when I go back to look at the pictures, you know, once the camera person's mm -hmm. taking the pictures, they upload it. I didn't see any of these people in there at all. Um, I was always creative even growing up so mm -hmm. I was very good at art I was very good at um like kind of writing poetry and stuff like that I was very good on the creative side playing basketball that sort of stuff academics 
was harder for me because mm-hmm. I know now that's how, how I process information, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, made it harder for me. But again, coming from the culture, Nigerian culture, Nigerian background, especially more so then anyway, doctor, lawyer, yes. that type of thing. All of my kind of creative side was shunned. You're not doing that. I don't want you to do art. You're not going off to play basketball anywhere. Mm-hmm. Even I was really good at basketball, but you're not going off to play basketball anywhere. You're not going to do that side of it. You're going to study and get an education and you're going to do something like that. You're going to go to uni and you're going to effectively allow me to be able to brag to aunts. So that's what it was from their side. Mm-hmm. Brag to my aunts, brag to their family and say, well, look at him. Mark's doing this and Mark's that and Mark's yeah. etc." And I didn't understand that world because A, I never went to Nigeria at all. So growing up, I never went back to Nigeria. We weren't taken oh, back I there. See, right. So you're, in, you're putting all these things on us and putting all this pressure on us. So you're growing up, growing us up in a Western society and I understand culturally that these are the things you like to do, but you're not looking at your actual child. Yeah. You're looking at your child as a product. You're not looking at your child as someone that you've created. Mm. And if you see something, you should be able to help that child. Yeah. I think... I feel like Nigerians particularly are very kind of like, yeah, you know, study, lawyer, mm. doctor all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Where do you think that particularly comes from? Do you know what? That's a, do you know, that's a really good question, you know? Um, I, I can't say where it necessarily comes from. I guess it's, Nigerians have always kind of been known to show off in that sense. That's what right. I know. To me, they've always okay. been known to show off. They, they like to be loud and they like to be uh, bold and, and that type of behaviour. And I guess it's, because I've never been to Nigeria, although I do want to go now because I want to take my children. So mm-hmm. I, I need to go and see where my heritage is. I need to go and see where I'm from yeah. myself personally because that might help me on my journey as well. But from what I from what I see and from what I visualise when I watch on TV and et cetera and like talking to individual people, it seems to be the fact that you need to be able to brag. That, that's right. all I see. So I'm not sure where it's come from, but it's that we need to be able to brag. We need to be able to say that this person's better than that person. And I guess maybe it's because of different tribes out there, different villages, it's like almost they compete against each other. Mm-hmm. So it's like my my heritage, so my parents are Urobo, and then you've got Ibos, Yorubas, etc. So it's like Urobos are better than Yorubas and Urobos are better than Ibos and etc. It's like, I don't even understand all this stuff. Right, I see. All okay. I know is that I was born here. Mm-hmm. You had me in St. Thomas's Hospital. I was registered at Lambeth. Mm-hmm. We grew up in Streatham, like Brixton Hill. Yeah. I don't understand what you're doing here. I don't understand this stuff at all. But I was too scared to voice my opinion. I was too frightened because of how that physical chastisement was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was too frightened to talk up. So I would just do what they asked me to. So also my dad, I would just do what my dad asked me to do. Mm-hmm. So even though I struggled, I didn't want to upset him in the fear that if I upset him, the outcome would be really horrendous. Um. In terms of like the physical chastisement, mm. are you happy to talk about like maybe one of the worst experiences that you kind of had? Because like, physical chastisement for me is, I mean, I experienced it growing up mm. as a lot of black people yeah, yeah, did course, yeah, because, yeah. you know, we, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a culture like, of course you beat your kids. Mm. Of course you do. Mm. And I think, you know, even growing up, I kind of had the same mentality because that's all I knew. Yeah. So then when I came across people that weren't beaten, I was a bit like, oh, 
your mum and dad ain't serious kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I know what However, you now that I have my own child, you know, I have made it a point to say I'm never going to... And, and you don't need to. Like, you don't need to. Well, I've never had to... I don't... I talk. Yeah, exactly. And they just need to understand that I'm the father. They're, they're the, the child, yeah. Same thing with you. You're the mother. You're the child. Yeah. Not you must do as I say, but I'm that person of authority. I've got to look after you. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing now, until you're at an age where you can start looking at things in your own viewpoint, mm-hmm. I need to make sure and protect you and know that you're safe. So you're not just going to go and run out in the road and do yeah. what you want to do because I don't know the outcome of that. You might get hit by a car. There might be somebody... And this society that we're living in now as well, it makes it even harder because we can't just go outside and play like we used to back yeah. in the day. Mm-hmm. So it's things like that. So looking back at it, you're right. I, I, Some of that stuff that happened back then, I just don't get it now. But um, no, really good question. So one of them particularly, so I was... Um, so a knife was thrown at me. And that knife wow. pierced the jumper and went into my chest. Wow. So that's an example of one of them. How old were you? I was, oof, how old was I then? I was 15, 16. Wow. Um, before I went to uni, I got beaten up. So I got boxing my mouth until I bit a massive, so in the end, like a massive chunk was bitten out of my lip. And this was the day before I was supposed to go off to like, uh, so I lived in Halls, I was going to live in Halls in Eltham. And um, so I went to Greenwich Uni and yeah, I got punched in the mouth and I was then 18. So um, there was a lot of kind of other things as well. So it was watching my mum, unfortunately, get um, beaten as well. So I was watching that or there was another time, I'll talk on this one particularly. Um, so, you know, neck curtain wire. Yes. Kind of wire. Yeah. So I don't know what my mum had done, um, but I remember my dad saying to me, "Can you, you need to go to the garage and go and get this neck curtain wire so I can tie your mum up. And, you know, the psychological damage that has on you is mm. because you, you, you now because you, you now almost it. feel part of it because he's sending you to go and get that wire to tie up your mum. Mm. So in a way, in a way, he's 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 almost making you an accomplice, even though you aren't. Yeah, but, but that's in effect that looking wow. at it now, that's in effect what it is. In in the end, I don't remember doing it, so I don't. I know I didn't do it, but I was so scared. So if I don't do that, what's he going to do to me? If yeah. I do that, what's he gonna do to I can me? see my mum shaking on the bed and crying. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a multitude of things. So yes, there is that element of physical chastisement, you know, where you get slapped, like you were saying beforehand. Mm-hmm. But some of the stuff that I saw was psychologically damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, there was other things like I, another one that I'll touch on as well. Um, when my mum and dad, ended up kind of splitting up, divorcing, because they had an arranged marriage as well. So it wasn't a marriage based on love. It right, was an arranged marriage. I see, okay. So when my mum and dad eventually ended up splitting up, my mum started reporting things like my dad was, how abusive he was, and that he was going to kill her. And that's why she ended up leaving, because if it wasn't for that, she would have died. Mm. And... You know, of course, they've got these elements of their Nigerian culture that they talk about, which isn't here in the Western world. So they talk about, if we just use it as black magic, mm-hmm. leave it as that. So those elements of that being spoken about throughout my kind of life as well, and things that I don't understand, I don't understand this. So it would be, your dad was going into the mirror one night, saw your dad go into a mirror, disappear somebody, and come back here, and you're like, mum, what are you, what are you talking about? Mm. Dad, go through a mirror. 
on this glass. If he went through the mirror, he would have cut himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's how she'd grown up. I can't, I can't. That's what she. That all she's doing is talking on what she yeah. knows. Um, it would be some of the other things as well. It would be where my mum would call me the devil. So my mum would think I was the devil. And my mum would say to me a lot of the time, please, I don't want you to go to prison. And you say to my mum, why would I go to prison? I'm not going to go to prison. She said, you've got so much anger in you. And I said, mum, I'm not going to go to prison. That's not mm. where I am. But my mum continually kept telling me that I was going to go to wow, prison. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. she'd call me and say, you're the devil and you need to come out here and I need to kind of redeem you and I need to give you some sort of redemption. So like, mum, I don't, I don't have that on me at all. Um, redemption from what? Yeah. But you're the devil. And these are things, this is what I was saying to you in regards to clarity. I'm never going to get clarity on this stuff. Yeah. I'm never mm-hmm. going to get clarity on what happened back then with my parents, even how they came across meeting each other mm-hmm. or my mum being sent to my dad, that kind of thing. I didn't grow up with love particularly. So that's mm. also a hard thing as well. So when you say your mum was sent to your dad? Yeah, so my mum would have been sent from Nigeria to my dad as in, and that's it, this is who you're going to marry. Um, I see. And okay. so that in itself isn't the best start for a no, child to see. No, of course not. You know, at the end mm. of the day, I, I know that people have children and, you know, then either people co-parent or they're single, single mothers or single fathers or et cetera, what it is. But if you don't show that child love, ultimately... Mm. they then don't know or understand or believe yeah. what love is and mm-hmm. unfortunately even all of this stuff led into the type of relationships I ended up falling into I ended up falling into relationships where at the end of the day I've got um, so I've got three children I've got a stepson as well so with my fiance now four children in total um, first relationship I was in I won't knock her but I put myself in a situation where you could tell I had no self esteem I let this person walk all over me um, I've got a beautiful daughter and she's 19 today actually so uh, yeah she's 19 day. such a big girl now wow. such a big girl um, I understand why now the mum did what she did then mm-hmm. so I understand that but that was something where that was quite hard um, I got into a relationship whilst I was at university and really good lady um, I just know I wasn't ready for that type of relationship yeah. at the time mm-hmm. um, then I got with so I got uh, two children with this lady here and you know again I feel I put myself in a situation that I took more than I should have done really she's we were just two different people mm-hmm. and unfortunately I lived to prove myself to people so there would be situations that would happen and if, if I was to explain it to somebody else they'd be like what you should have gone a long time ago mm. but for me I made children, I had children. I didn't want to be like my father where he had fathered children and no responsibility right, with okay. some, of the other, some of the other children. Because I only know of one of my half-sisters, that's it. But oh, there's more children that I'm not aware about, much older than me as well. Wow. Um, so I didn't want to be in that situation. So, you know, I, I, I stayed within my environment at the time and I stayed in my environment when maybe I knew it was toxic. It was too toxic for me to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was starting to affect my mental health. I would question everything that I was doing. I would, you know, get told off or whatever it was, and then I would be the one to apologise. And I'm not saying that I didn't do anything wrong in this relationship at all. Um, but I would be the person to, I'm sorry, I'll try my best, I'll do better. Mm-hmm. But there were some things that I wasn't able to do better because I suffered with what I suffered with, yeah. which was undiagnosed at that time anyway. Mm-hmm. So 
all I was doing is trying to do better to please somebody else than trying to find a source of why I kept repeating the same thing. Yeah. To then allow myself to stop doing it. You know, I've ended up isolating friends. I've ended up um, over-promising because I always want to help. Mm-hmm. But then I don't always deliver on what I've said. There's just, it is so many things. And it's like, I've just got to change my cognitive kind of mind. So going back and linking it again to um, the question you asked beforehand about what are the things I saw, that was kind of a tip of the iceberg in regards to that kind of psychological stuff that I would see because there was that. And then on top of it as well was the beatings. I remember mm-hmm. getting beaten once because I didn't get my times tables right, but it wasn't just a normal beating. It was, it was, there was a lot of malice there. There was a lot of anger within mm-hmm. that. Um, I've had a flame held to me. Um, I've had my hand put over a stove. Yeah, all sorts of things, things like that. Wow. Mm. Can we talk about your dad? Yeah. Um, again, I don't really know much about him. I don't know when he's. I don't know how old he is. Um, you don't know how old he is. No. I remember once we tried to celebrate his birthday. Oof, that wasn't a good idea at all. Um, he, you know, my dad's my dad. I don't know much about him at all. He used to talk about his mum a lot. I never met her, so he used to talk about my grandma, and he said he loved her very much. But I don't know anything about his dad. Um, I know he. It sounded from the little bits I know that he grew up quite horrifically as well mm. himself and I, I feel that maybe that's where a lot of the anger came from generational trauma um, is what I yeah, like to call it yeah, yeah. exactly that mm-hmm. and unfortunately through that anger that he might have seen or that generational trauma that he experienced it then continued with us here as a family um, so the family he created with my mum and you know my two siblings uh, so same mum same dad there was a lot of that that I feel is why we ended up with this kind of barrage of stuff. Right, I see. But he would never admit it. He would never um, say that this is the kind of thing that he was or why he was like that. It just, it would never come out at all. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because it's, I can't get any answers. Because again, it's it's you have that feeling like why why did that happen to me? Why did I have to witness that? Or why was like a knife thrown at me to actually pierce my chest? Like I could have died. Why were these things happening? Why was I being called ugly? Yeah. Or skinny or not clever? Why why were these things being told to me? And I can't get an explanation from it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my dad believed in hitting women because I remember once he asked me. You know, I was nine years old and we we're in Spain on holiday at the time and he said would I ever hit a woman if um, somebody cussed my mum I said no I wouldn't but the look that I got from that was it weren't very pleasant you know so I feared a lot I lived I lived a lot of my younger years in fear mm-hmm. and through that fear I still wanted to prove that I was decent enough just to hear no you're fine yeah you're good it's like I find the people that not loathe me the most, but the people that I can't break down and get them to see me for me as a person, Mm -hmm. I work harder to please those type of people. I see. And so there's people around me that are good that I don't need to prove myself to. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones I end up leaving behind. Yeah. Or going into a show and I don't nurture them. Mm -hmm. And I'm nurturing these people that no matter what I do, you're never going to win with them anyway. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. To learn Mm -hmm. that message as a 30 year old man is, is strange for me because by now, you know, people expect you to get all of this. They expect you to understand all of this. And the worst thing about it is I do. 
And so it's always like a split body experience because I can mm. see myself and I can see all of my behaviors and I know what I'm doing. It's like, Mark, stop doing what you're doing. You don't mm. need to do that anymore. But my my cognitive behaviors are the ones that have been learned from so long ago. Yes. It's trying to break those things down, down yeah. and the strength yeah. it takes to break these things down. The strength it takes for me sometimes to just say, actually, no, I can't help you without thinking that person's going to think, unreliable I don't want to do this I don't want to do that at all so I end up saying okay I can help no and I can't I yeah. can't be there for the time they want me to I can't help them with what they need yeah, to help me yeah. with but uh-huh. it's better that I say I can help than not say that and then feel that kind of dejection and yes. rejection and mm. them thinking now oh, it's a waste of space anyway mm. because it ends up being the same result because I don't turn up for the time and I've actually said to them yeah I can do that and mm. now they've relied on me to do it and then I don't turn up then I'm making a whole load of excuses as mm. to why I couldn't do it it would have just been easier to say no in the first place. Yeah. So, it's like, is, is it, as you're talking, mm. like, for me, all, all I can visualise is like, your dad is speaking almost through all these people. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, there's a lot of things that um, I would like to ask my dad that I never will be able to. Mm. And do you, do you and your dad not have like a, a relationship now at all? No, not, not really. He, we, he, he'll call me sometimes. Um, and we'll speak and you know he will say to me oh why i wish you continued with doing the art and i wish you um like you're doing really well in life now and i can see all of that but you know for me it's nice that maybe he's at the age now where he's reflected maybe and thought actually the way in which maybe i did treat my son Hmm. wasn't the greatest or the modern society that we live in now where you know, back then he used to say Nigerians are a certain way and Jamaicans are a certain way. Mm-hmm. But now, like I used to say to my dad, that's not the case. Yeah. You get very educated Jamaican families and mm-hmm. you get very, and you get ones that aren't on it. And mm-hmm. it's the same across the board, yeah. same with Nigerians as well. Um, so this notion that he had back then, which I know was prevalent with a lot of them yeah. back then mm-hmm. as well. So And both Jamaicans and kind of Nigerians, you know. But it was just uh, just listening to it now for me it's a bit too late because I needed to hear this when I was younger because mm. I've got friends that were nurtured with their talents when they were younger and you know they've gone on to be amazing people mm-hmm. and they've gone on to do everything and they you know they're credited to their mums or they're credited to their parents and etc and I quite often I sit here it's Mother's Day and I can't do anything for Mother's Day it's Father's Day I don't do anything for that you know I've got my own family now yeah, so in regards yeah. to that I celebrate those people around me um, like I said I've got children with two different women so I celebrate them mm-hmm. in that sense and my fiance now she's a wonderful mother um, to her son and to how she's taken on my family as mm-hmm. well is, okay. is absolutely amazing so I credit her with a lot of stuff but it's you know you still get that feeling over Christmas what you're going to do for Christmas I, yeah. I don't have family to go to over Christmas at all I don't have these things in place so 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 your, your mum and dad separated yeah, divorced they, yeah they, they don't talk at all so when that so how old were you when that happened 24 okay so when so when so when that separation was kind of final Mm -hmm. how did you navigate between the two of them or did you at all no i haven't seen my mum since then so for the age of 24 24? i haven't seen my mum since then wow actually no um my daughter was born when i was 28 my mum saw her when she was six months old so that was 10 years ago now I haven't seen my mum. So how come you haven't seen your mum since? Because my mum's 
her mental ill is when I kind of reference the devil and stuff like that her mental state of mind is no good and I'm scared to be honest with you it's like when she talks like that some days she'll talk to me normally um, oh so you still speak to her so on and off though not not, right. okay, not not regularly so um at the times I have spoken to her sometimes she'll speak and she's normal she'll say hey Mark how you doing or Akbofre how you doing then other days she'll call me like Mohammed and I'm not I'm not Mohammed is there someone else you speak to and she'll just go off into something say that I need to find myself or I need to go to a bible now I could be walking from work I need to go to a bible now and read this section otherwise something's going to happen to me and you know because of what I suffer with already that the anxiety yes right. so yeah. it's like mm-hmm. something's going to happen to me so now I'm watching everything I'm doing mm-hmm. and that's not how I want to live I don't want to no. live based on somebody's words saying something that then that causes me to react the way I'm reacting yeah and um you know, my mum doesn't even go by her first name anymore, so she calls herself Mary Magdalene. And even that's hard to process, because like, where's this come from? Mm. So I know sometimes when people do have actual physical mental breakdowns, which I know my mum's had, um, they find something to latch onto. And when yeah. they latch onto that, they embrace it thoroughly, because it's the only way that they can continue with something. Yes. And come, mm. Yeah, mm. For, for want of a better word. So I know that's what she's done, but, you know, talking to her, it's like it's not my mum anymore and I haven't seen her for so long I'm kind of afraid to go to where she is in case something happens to me or yeah. my family mm-hmm. and I've wanted her to come back here but she doesn't want to come back here um, so again is that kind of bury your head in the sand and because I know that there's still a lot of things I need to achieve and I'm not where I would like to be ideally I still I'm trying to work on myself at the same time so it seems selfish but it's like I can't give to my dad and I can't give to my mum and I'm taking for myself because that's what I've done all my life. Mm-hmm, I've given, mm-hmm. I've given, I've overstretched myself and I've never really looked after myself properly. And although it really pains me, if I don't do this now, I don't know how long I can continue for being like this way right. before I mm-hmm. just then think, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I don't want to get to that position because I, I know that there's some kind of strength I have. Um, it's there because I'm I'm here 38 years later and I'm still here even with all these unanswered questions and things that I've done towards people that I never will be able to explain or make them understand mm-hmm. why I did that because as far as they can see well you said you could do that you didn't do it I'm finished with you you said this I found out different I finished with you mm-hmm. so you know I have to live with all of that but there's still inner strength because I know my heart's pure. That's yeah. one thing I know mm-hmm. about myself. I am a very pure person. I don't wish madness on anybody. I don't do things maliciously. I'm not out there to go and get one up on somebody at all. Yeah. I, I am who I am. I just want everybody to do well. I try to help everybody do well. That's just the way I live. But I have to start looking after myself because if I don't, unfortunately, I won't be there. Oh, I don't want to put myself in a situation, should I say, where I'm not there for my children to get what they need. Of course, Because 100%. I'm trying to break this whole generational um, curse, curse yes, yeah. I'm trying to break mm-hmm. that so you know I show my kids avid love they mm-hmm. can come and they can kiss me they can hug me they can tell me they love me I, I do all those things that I wasn't allowed to do mm-hmm. when I was growing up because I don't want my son to think that he has to be this tough man where you can't show him love Yeah. because love doesn't mean that he isn't going to be masculine Yes. Love just means that how he approaches situations he would approach it with the right mind of, with the right frame of mind Mm-hmm. And it might make him deliberate. Actually, if I do that, that's not what my dad taught me. That's not love. Yeah. That's me doing something wrong. So let me approach it in a different way. Mm. And that's all I want for my children. Mm. So, 
Mm. Um, so, did you ever feel protected by your mum or was the situation so bad that she couldn't protect you? I felt protected by my mum up to a certain age um, when I had my daughter. That's when I saw so my daughter, like I said, she's 19 today. Happy birthday, princess. Um, she, when she was born, I was 18. And that's when I realised my mum couldn't really protect me anymore. Um, I felt my mum did the best she could do, but I think she was trying to protect herself. Self, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my mum would love and nurture in the best way she could do. Mm-hmm. And I, I and that, that is, I'm very similar to her. She wears her heart on her sleeve. She would do anything for anybody. Yeah. Um, but I think by doing that and then getting certain people that were not as pleasant to her also culminated in the fact that she then, in effect, went off the rails. Um, 18, had my daughter. My dad wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in it at all. I remember, this was a few years down the line when I spoke to my mum and my mum, there was a conversation they were having and she was like, but you had kids at his age and you had kids from before, so why would you treat your son this way? Oh, interesting. Okay, right. That's not a question that's ever going to get answered, (laughs) uh, to be honest with you. So, you know, my mum did what she could do you know, she tried to help the lady at the same time, but I know that caused contention between my mum and dad uh, when she was trying to help uh, my daughter's mum at the time. Um, there was also just things where my mum would say, I want my grandchild to come over for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And my dad wouldn't have it at all. He said, if he comes, you go. Wow. To my mum. So on top of it, that made my anxiety worse because I thought I, I'm the cause of these arguments. I'm, I'm the one that's bringing these arguments mm-hmm. to them. Um, and I was an 18 year old young man at the time as well. So I didn't know anything at all. I knew that I had to look after this child because that was my natural instinct. Yeah. I, I've, I've created this child and even that situation in itself, uh, that's something I won't speak about, but that situation itself wasn't the most pleasant of ways to find out that I was going to have a daughter. But, it's my responsibility. Because mm. you, you, I remember you were like one of the first yeah, to have, so yeah. Imagine that, one of the last to lose that V. Yeah. And one of the first, first to gain a yeah. child. And looking back now, I, I can see why I was in those situations because I didn't want to be at home. And, mm. you know, so I ended up just putting up with things, even though I didn't, like the girl, like my child's mum, uh, my first child's mum anyway, um, she's done an amazing job with my daughter. So I've got no complaints in regards to that. It's just me at the time she showed interest in me and I ran for that because I hadn't had that before. Yeah. I hadn't had anybody take an interest in me or even look at me to be that I was good looking. Mm. And I wasn't ready for a relationship, even though at that age I wasn't ready for it because I'd never been in one. Um, and I wasn't ready for what came out of it as well. Right. And, you know, it's back then as well, it was just, how can this be happening to me? How has this happened? Why have I allowed myself to... Why wasn't I strong enough to say, actually, do you know what? I I don't want to be in a relationship. But being able to be around her and not be at home Mm -hmm. was far greater. And that outweighed a lot of stuff. So there was stuff that I put up with that now would I put up with it? No, No. I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But back then, I allowed myself in a way to be able to be treated the way I was yeah. to a certain extent mm. Mm. so did your dad ever come round to accepting your eldest daughter yeah I'd say um, past two years 
Oh wow! Has, so it's, it's taken. He hasn't seen. Yeah, he hasn't seen her. Yeah, he, he don't know what she looks like or anything like that at all. Um, it's now when he's talking with his mind frame, he's saying, "You know, I'm so proud of you," and etc. And, and you know, for me, it burns because it's. I wanted you to be proud of me when I was younger, mm. just like similarly to um, situations with girls and stuff like that. So you know, if I get women approach me now and say they want to talk to me now and etc. Some women that have come to me. I've known from when I was younger as well. Mm-hmm. And then I look and think, but back then you used to say I was ugly and mm-hmm. that I was nothing. Yeah. And you used to treat me a certain way and you weren't very kind to me. Mm-hmm. So what's changed all of a sudden? I just don't believe what they're telling me yeah. at all. Whereas I'm not, I've got no doubt that they're being genuine, mm-hmm. but it's just, I can't let go of how I was treated when I was younger. And it's the same thing kind of, you know, with what I was just saying beforehand. It's like I, I still hold on to a lot of those things then. So my dad telling me he's proud of me now and etc. But to me, I, I needed that growing up. Mm-hmm. And maybe the anxiety part of me wouldn't have been there so much. Wasn't so fearful of everything because I'm not, I can't blame my parents for how I became when I was a bit older. But things definitely started off back then like in regards to the lion and, and, and the way in which I started behaving and I feared everything. So I would just agree with somebody to not get into an argument or to not be seen that I wasn't cool, like I was saying beforehand. Before, yeah. So a lot of my kind of cognitive behavior and the way in which I worked is attributed to a lot of the things that happened to me when I was younger. Yeah. And it's just, I never dealt with them. Um, I've had to go through this journey to be able to get to where I am which is kind of breaking point to say you need to do something about it mm. and now you need to work on yourself. You need to get yourself better. Mm. You need to be able to do these things. So, you know, I'm currently looking at therapy um, to start some cognitive behaviour work because Fantastic. there are processes in my mind that I still know I need work on. So, mm. like, organisation, I'm brilliant at it now. I was so rubbish for Dion. I could leave, like, there'll be... I'll be your worst nightmare, to be honest with you. There'll be fat <laughs> stacks of paper everywhere, uh-huh. clothes everywhere. All of this stuff's clean. Yeah. But you can't move it. Because if you tidy it up, it doesn't make sense to me. It's illogical what uh, you've done. Okay. So that power has to stay there. So you'd be cussing. Mark, tidy up all that stuff. No, don't touch it. It needs to stay, stay there, there. Because I know that piece of paper that I need is in this bit. Mm-hmm. I know the clothes that I need is underneath like the massive pile, pile. I, can, I know where it all is yeah. and you know but that can be frustrating for people because all of this stuff affects relationships of it affects a lot of stuff yeah. and I feel um, I have to accredit also my last children's mother as well because going through what we went through it allowed me to find myself as well it mm-hmm. allowed me to get to that point in January where I said I need to go and get things checked out now Yeah, it really did allow me to had it have been smooth sailing Maybe I might have found out later on in life when not it's too late, but at an age where, when look, because the thing is, it's like I said, we have children now, don't we? Mm. So it's like you have to almost find out as early as you can, so that you don't then pass on these yeah, traumas onto your children. Yeah, I don't want to at all. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been blessed. So my daughter, she's, I know she suffers with anxiety and stuff like that as well. So that is there, but. She's doing so well at uni. So she's finishing her first year of uni. Fantastic. She's studying psychology. My nine-year-old daughter, I've never known anything like it. Girl's clever. Mm-hmm. I want to say she's really intelligent and she loves school and she's very much still a girl's girl. And I love yeah. that. She's not, uh, yeah, she asked me for a phone the other day and I told, I just gave her a look and said, you want me to give you a phone? Me. <laughs> so she already, she don't ask me that question again. And you know, my my, yeah. my son, 
Um, so I never thought I'd have a boy either because I come from a family of girls. From what I know, it's just girls. Okay. So my son, you know, watching him grow up and um, you know, he's born premature as well. So he's born two months earlier. So he's tiny. Oh, okay. He was like three pounds something when he was three pound two ounces when he was born. So yeah, just seeing that, I feel like I've given the good elements of myself mm-hmm. and that's been passed down to him because yeah. watching him he's a bundle of joy and sometimes I think was I like this growing up and then obviously circumstances just kind of broken out of you yeah. he's so confident and he will go up to you and ask you a question like he'll come up to you and say hello mm-hmm. how are you doing and I look and think was I like that because I don't remember much of my childhood either and I don't know if that's because there was so much trauma that I've blocked a lot of it out yeah, right. but mm-hmm. I see the traits that I feel I have I've given it to him and if that's what he's had to have taken to break this mould mm-hmm. then God's good and I've done that yeah um I just want to touch on when you you were saying a couple of minutes ago about you know you can't blame your parents for how you are mm. and I think the word blame is an interesting one because like we've already established there is clearly some generational trauma that's kind of gone down the line. Okay. So can we blame your dad for how he's treated you? Because yes, he shouldn't have done it. Yes, he was wrong, but clearly he's in a space where maybe he doesn't even fully understand why he's doing the same things. And you know what? I I do agree with that, Um, which is why, yeah, it's a good question because I don't think he understands why he does his things, but everybody knows right from wrong. Absolutely. And and Mm -hmm. this is what I, that's why I love working in education because I say to people, no matter what, you know right from wrong, Mm -hmm. you know it would be wrong to just run out in the middle of the road and wait for a car to hit you. Yeah. And you know it's right to wait until the light turns green and then walk. So everybody knows right from wrong. And I think... There are parts that I can say, okay, maybe, you know, the frustration that he had, that's why some of it came out earlier on in life. Mm -hmm. But then eventually you get to a point where your mind works anyway. And you're like, you know, know, with me, I've tried to say sorry to some of the people that I've caused hurt along the way. So I've tried to do that. Whereas he's still got his head buried in the sand. It's that, but I feel feel like it's that generation as well. mm. They're almost very... um resistant to I think parents yeah in general are very resistant into admitting that they are wrong and and they're not going to do that at all and you know this is a really good topic because I know I've seen this topic float about on Facebook groups and etc and at the end of the day it's the same kind of thing like you're talking about men talking about self-esteem and depression and stuff like that it's the same thing with parents kind of talking about apologizing to a child me I'll apologize if I've done something wrong I would apologise to my child. Because Mm. I don't want my child to always think, well, when they grow up, then I'm always right. Because they're not always going to be right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to sit there and apologise for every single thing I do. Because that means I'll be saying sorry all the time. Mm. But if I've done something, or if I've, like, even if my daughter, I remember there was something that I'd moved from a table. I said to her, have you touched it? Have you moved it somewhere? She said, no, Dad, I haven't. I was like, but you were in the bedroom beforehand, so where's it gone? Mm-hmm. And she hadn't touched it. What had happened, it just dropped. And I think that was my fault. So I said to her, do you know what? I called her in and I said, look, I'm sorry that I've said this. Mm-hmm. Um, you hadn't moved it and that's my bad. So yeah. as your father, I apologise. Mm-hmm. And I said, but you can understand why I asked you that in the first place. And she said, yeah, I do understand. And I gave her a big hug and I gave her a big kiss and I tell her I love her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, daddy will always apologise for things that he gets wrong. 
and I want you to be able to have the same humility as well. So yeah. if you get things wrong, you need to apologize. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's certain moles that have been broken because I know that children go through an element of lying and my daughter does it sometimes. Now I can see that element where she's scared of what my reaction may be. Yeah. And I taught her and I'm teaching her, you don't need to lie to me at all. I said, at the end of the day, there's always going to be a consequence, mm-hmm. but your consequence is less if, if you, you tell just the truth. Tell. And you know, she's been wonderful at saying, actually, dad, you know what? This is how I feel. And this is what I've done. And I'm sorry. And you know, she'll burst out crying because my daughter's quite emotional like that. She mm. loves cuddles. She loves hugs and she bursts out crying. I'll go and get her a tissue and I sit her down and I say, for you crying alone, I know that you're apologetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For you being this way. But I said, I'm proud of you. So I always mm. kind of say, you know, you shouldn't do this, but I'm proud of you for being able to come to me and tell me mm-hmm. that you've done this. And I want you to always be able to do this in your life. And again, same thing, big hugs, squeezes, etc. Whereas I think... I would never have got that in my generation. Yeah. If I'd done something and I hadn't got it wrong, that's one prime example, I'll give you this actually. So this is more of a funny story. Um, my dad used to drink this drink called Five Alive. Five Alive, so, yes, yeah, yes, Five yes, Life, yes, 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 yes. This yeah. was his drink. So I wouldn't dare touch it anyway. It was his drink. And, um, yeah, but they were nice still. Mm, yeah, yeah, you know, I can't even lie. There was a couple of times <laughs> yeah. I did use the box off his drink, but um, I, I soon learned not to after this. But, so he, he had this drink and he used to keep it under his bed. So do you know, like... You know how some black families are with the satin sheets and all oh, these yeah. kind of things. And oh, yeah. Yeah, so he had that and the Five Alive box was underneath this satin sheet thing. So he'd hidden it there. That was his drink. He'd hidden it there. Oh, wow. I was supposed to go up and the next thing, my mum calls me down. So I don't know if my dad's called the house phone, called my mum. My mum's coming. You, da- you drank your dad's drink. What? I haven't touched his drink. Hmm. You've touched it. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Blah, blah, blah. Obviously, mum's taking it out on me. Sit down. You're going to watch me cook all day. Um... My dad then called back and said, oh, actually, um, I remember now, it was me that I had to drink. So he said that to my mum. So I'm now looking, thinking, hmm, okay. Can I go You're out You're not going to apologise, I'm going to go out, yeah, I'm going to go out. <laughs> so I said to my mum, look, at the end of the day, you know, mum, I understand, I understand. Well, your dad said you're not going out anyway, because it's if you didn't do it, then it's something you would have done anyway. Oh, wow. And so it's things like that. Mm. It's just unjust. Yeah. And you can't win against them. And I know nowadays people have to do these stories and they say, oh, African parents, you know, they've got all these comedians saying, oh, African parents are like mm. this, African parents are like that. But when I watch these things sometimes... I don't really find it not, funny sometimes, no, to be honest. No, sometimes yeah. I watch it now and I think, this isn't actually funny. No. Because what you're teaching a child is quite horrendous. Yep. You're teaching that child that basically they can't be themselves. Mm-hmm. They can't be a certain way. They can't show love. They can't do this. They can't do that. That's what you're teaching a child and that's what you're going to teach them to go out and do when they're older. Mm-hmm. And I think um, quite interesting because I watch a lot of stuff to watch about behaviour and stuff like mm-hmm. that and, and things. And there's this documentary on BBC Free at the moment and it's talking about, it's, I think it's lives, knives and something and it's a viewpoint on SPAC Nation. Right, um, yeah. So I don't want to talk about the church. I've never been there. But I was watching yesterday's episode and there's an artist on there and, you know, he was um, from North London somewhere and he has gone to this church. So somebody um, went, found him, said, look, give your life over and we'll do this. And I watched him rolling around yesterday on the, on the floor and I'm, if that's what he feels, that's what he feels. But what I was looking out for is how many of these youngsters were from African heritage. Right. And there's a lot of them in that church mm-hmm. that are. And this is a generation a bit younger than myself. Yeah. But some of the ones that are a bit older, a lot of them have talked about being in gangs anyway. They were in gangs and they were doing these things where 
they had no control and they were doing black magic and they were going out there and doing all these things. So what I'm noticing is that that older generation, so my parents' generation, mm-hmm. didn't really understand themselves. Most probably suffered with mental illnesses. Mental illnesses, some of them are hereditary. Pass that down. Unless you're willing to look at yourself, you end up passing that down again. Exactly. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of the stuff that's happening now, not just necessarily, again, with the African culture, that's, that's just me being... Um, pedantic and looking at things so if my dad ever wanted to call me again I'd say look at your people just smashing up the place yeah but um I think that there are a lot of young people that suffer with mental health but they don't know where to go to and they can't go home and talk about it they don't want to admit it to themselves they're not going to go home because parents say no 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 you're not mad you're not going down that route because yeah. as far as I'm going to pray for you is, um, Come, mm, to, come church. to church. We'll pray. We'll pray. Or we'll fling something on your head. Yeah. Or we'll do this or we'll get sister this to do this or father this to do that or pastor this to do that rather than because they don't want to go to Maudsley or they don't want to go to where yeah. I went to Bethlehem because as far as they're concerned, it's a mental health institute and you get locked up. Yeah. And once you get locked up, that's it. But it's not that. Mm-hmm. Mental health covers such a variety of things. Absolutely. Um, There's help for everybody. And this is what I try to encourage even in schools I work in. I see some children, I think, there is something there and I encourage parents to take them to the GP take your child to the GP tell them what you're finding hard to deal with and then go through the process because I can assure you your son or your daughter is not going to get locked up it's not that at all Mm -hmm. this is to help them have a better future and you know a lot of parents have listened to me and they have done that and they have come back and said you know what thank you so much because their concept of it their preconcept Mm -hmm. is you go to Maudsley we know what Maudsley was like growing up. That's the stories we used to hear is that everyone, people from that day in the mental side yeah, come there mm-hmm. strapped up and, and the rest of it as well. Whereas now it's just about educating people more about mental health because me, you know, at the end of the day, I've discussed all of this stuff on here and, you know, some people might listen to this and think, oh my God, the life that he's come from or whatever, but I am a normal person. Yeah. Yes, I have altering moods and yes, sometimes, you know, I'm really low and I isolate myself or I overthink or I do what I'm doing, but... Like I mentioned to you yesterday and more when we speak on the 28th, it's a gift and a curse. So I look at it as a curse that it's been like this for most of my life, but the gift is some of the things I've learned from it. So me, I'm I'm a people's person. Even though I, I know I appear confident you were talking about the MC and stuff like mm-hmm. that as well. Um, you know, that's something that I'm, because my brain's so quick thinking, and I mentioned this yesterday as well, that's why I find it really easy to MC. I can, I can make up something instantly. Oh, wow. Just okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can work with people and I, I feel like I have this, I can call it a gift or... Call I it just, a gift. I, yeah, you know, I will call it a gift, but because I've had to look at social cues growing up because words that were coming out of people's mouths, especially my own family's mouths, weren't always the truth. So I had to look at them and I had to analyse them and analyse if what they're saying is resonated through their body. And working in education has really allowed me to use that skill and that gift to see so many things in children that they don't see themselves mm-hmm. or to be able to talk to parents when I've been told but this is the toughest parent to deal with all this parent does is cursing it. no no no, no mm. that's not the case at all I sit down with a parent what I've been told by one person when I sit down with a parent I've watched parents break down as well I've watched parents break down and say nobody's ever spoken to us like this nobody's been able to articulate it enough I've got so many examples of parents and children and adults and like a wide variety of people that mm-hmm. have come to me and said Sir, thank you. Yeah. And I see your, like, kind of testimonials in the yeah, lessons yeah, that yeah, 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 your yeah. young people and parents mm. write and stuff yeah. like that. So, clearly, you are doing a good job. Yeah, I'm I just doing what I wish a lot of people did. 
as well. Like, you know, at the end of the day, we're in this time now where there's a lot of things and, there's, you know, there's a lot of really good... Yesterday, you mentioned um, one person particularly that he was... Like, he, that's your recent podcast mm-hmm. as well. Watching his work is amazing. Watching what he does yeah. is absolutely amazing. It's just... I feel now we need to come together with all these resources yes. because yeah. it's it's all well and good that, okay, I can work with... I work under, under the scenes, so not everybody knows... Unless I don't post this stuff, not everybody knows what I do mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis because I'm not... I'm in the process of setting up a business and um, that's gone quite well. I've put a few things through that, but I can't do it myself. No, no one mm. man's an island. Mm. It's like the fact that you mentioned as an educational psychologist, I don't have that knowledge now. I, I read up on stuff, so I might be more versed than others. But at the same time, it's like, if I can't do this, then I need that person to do this. If I can't do that bit of it, then I need him to look at that aspect yeah. of it. And mm-hmm. if, I, if 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 he can't do that, then we need, and all of a sudden you've got a team, team of people yeah. around mm-hmm. you now. So now you've got a parent that can go to a behaviour specialist, an educational psychologist, a mentor, a doctor, this and that. And that's now a team around that family. Yeah. Rather than having teams around families where people don't even understand the background you're coming from. They don't understand the culture. They don't understand yeah. those things at all. And then if mm-hmm. you don't understand the background that child's coming from, that child, you can't resonate with them. Then yeah. you can't resonate with the family. And then all of a sudden now, they don't want to work. They don't want to do this. And you know, some of these families, when they have to get involved with social services or whatever it is, they don't want to work with social services. So they looked at it as being difficult. Mm-hmm. But it's not them being difficult. It's just a lot of the time you don't want people to judge you. Yes. If they don't know you, hundred percent, hundred percent. When social services come into your life, you're being judged. Yes. That's that's the way it's looked at. Mm-hmm. In some cultures, you're judging me. Why have you got social? I look after my, I look after my picnic. I look after my children. Mm. I do this. I feed them. I clothe them. What more do you want, do you want from, from me? me? Yeah. But obviously, the world in which we live in now, you can't really do certain things. You can't say certain things because if a child comes into school or goes to an adult and says, "Oh, my mum said that she was gonna hit me," some alarm bells. Yeah. Social services need to, need to be called mm-hmm. and all the rest of it as well. So. I just really hope the community can get together and do things because they want to do it, not because they want to be at the top of looking like they're helping what we're facing now. Yeah. Because it's not about that at all. If you're going to do something, you need to do it with the love in your heart. And mm-hmm. I do this because of the love of my heart. See, of course, I need to also survive as well. Yeah. But I go above and beyond. And I know I do that. Like I said, I will go out here. If I see something happening, I'll go and stop it. Mm-hmm. I'll go and help a child. I will go and speak to somebody and say, what's wrong? Yeah. Or I say to them, hello, good morning, shake their hands. I do all those sort of things because sometimes that's all it takes to stop somebody from going to do the badness that they were just about to do. By mm. just asking a question and shaking their hand and saying, stay blessed. Yeah. Whatever you're looking for, you'll get it. Mm. Because then they will done it. What? Why is he talking? I was in this mode, mind frame, that I'm going to my ops block and I'm going to go and do something to them. And now he's told me, he's shaking my hand. And you never know what it does. I yeah. can't, I, I'm mm-hmm. only one person. I can't stop everything from happening. But one person can become 20, 20 can become 30, 30 can become a nation. And, and then we all attack this. And it's all about just sending out that vibration. Mm. Because by you stopping one person from doing something, you know, you've planted a seed of change in their mind. And that one little seed could then prevent them from getting into it so many other different situations exactly that, yeah. and then it just replicates and it replicates mm. so I think you're absolutely doing a great job but you know what it's more you see it's that seed that you plant it doesn't matter what age you are so for me you know I've always wanted to talk my story I've always wanted to be able to share it you know I've reached out to people but for whatever reasons it hasn't happened mm-hmm. and you know I, I feel that this is right for me now because I feel like I'm back in an environment that I was when I was younger and yeah. so that's quite therapeutic for me anyway mm. but it's the fact that 
you've allowed me to do something and speak on it and I can sit here and realise that you're not judging me as a person mm-hmm. and you don't know what that's done for my psyche and for my mental health. Mm-hmm. So you can thank me all you like, but you allowing me to kind of reach out to you and then saying, actually, yeah, I'm not here to kind of be selfish or anything like that at all. If he wants to speak on that, yeah. I will allow him to speak on this and via my platform. That was it. Yeah. And that was a massive breakthrough for me because I have wanted to talk about this situation. It's just, I don't know the right way to go about it. I don't yeah. know the right way in which to speak on it. I, you know, so it's, I message people and don't hear from them or they say, oh, do you know what? We've planned all these already and etc. So I've just got to them too late. But to be able to be able to, sorry, repeat that, but to be able to share this on this platform, really therapeutic for me mm. because I realise I am who I am and I am the person I am. I'm still on the journey mm-hmm. and I will get there because that's just the type of person I am. Yeah. And I thought, I think also as well on the whole thing of seeds, it's like um, what I always say to guests that come on is that through your story, there are going to be people listening mm. who are going to be able to relate to what you're saying. Mm. And, you know, that in itself, one thing I always say is that people can never truly heal until they feel heard. Yeah. Yeah? So you are potentially speaking to hundreds of different people out there Mm. that still aren't at the point where you are, where you can actually speak without fear and without shame about Mm. what you've gone through. Yeah, yeah. That in itself is throwing loads of seeds out there because now, like, like literally after every single episode, I will get a DM, I'll get an email from someone saying, "Thank you so much mm. for covering that topic because you know what, that's what I'm going through. Yeah, this is what I've been through. Like, you know, and it's helped me so much mm. because someone else has had, you know, has had the, the the guts to actually come on and, and speaking speak about, about speak it, yeah. about you know, yeah. so." For me, I'm just kind of like, I'm just the microphone, essentially. Do you know what? I'm just the microphone, you know, but it's it's, it's the people that, you know, um, trust me. I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally feel like, you know, because there's a lot of people, I don't actually know them, mm. you know. Um, sometimes I just ask people, you know, what's your kind of story? Yeah, yeah. And through talking, they kind of let things, I'm like, well, do you want to come on to the, the podcast and talk about yeah. it? And yeah, like I just, yeah, it's, it's just about helping people. And I think what you've, I mean, like, so like I said, I spoke to Scholar T um, at the beginning of the year. So his episode came, I think, in January. Yeah, big up Scholar, actually. I'm due to go to one of his events soon, actually. I'm due to go. I haven't been to one yet at all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and exactly. And you, two, and you two are on the same panel. Yeah, yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, we need, we need more men like you guys to, to, be to just to step it, yeah. up to the table mm. and say do you know what look and I think it's like I kind of find you and Scholar T kind of similar in a mm. sense that you know you're both black men same age Nigerian yeah. kind of like in the on one part of you you're entertainers yeah. but then you have your you, you know you have, you have your career side to you as mm. well kind of thing um is it the type of people that you are that make you more open to come and speak on a platform like this? Sure. Because, you know, like I know for a fact that, that there are men out there who are doing crime. I'm talking about men our age yeah, who are yeah. doing crime, doing all these things that blatantly are suffering, mm-hmm. but they're not prepared. They, they don't want to talk about they it. They don't want to talk they, about it. Either they feel it's too tough to deal with and they don't have the strength to cope in dealing with that, that stuff 
because it's easier again um like i was saying to you before when you kind of end up using methods to cope and coping mechanisms and etc some of those people they go out and they do those things because it gives them that's that's where their attention can focus on let me mm. just go do that crime let me do that let me do that let me become the wickedest person in the world let me become the baddest boy in, in the area or whatever or let me become the baddest man and when they do that that's their coping mechanism and it's funny because if they sat down the the action in which they're using to commit crime will hurt somebody else so now they're kind of taking their hurt that they're feeling rather than dealing with it and now they're hurting multiple other people and Mm -hmm. just spreading that hurt yeah whereas sometimes they just need to sit down and think i need to go through this journey and you know what me being open i've always kind of been an open book as such like i know i talk a lot and you know i've been not told off for it but people have said oh you talk too much you're you're a man You, you shouldn't be acting like that or you shouldn't be doing this you shouldn't be doing that and you know i've listened to them and so I've tried to always kind of portray this image as well to say, you know, I'm a man, no, I'm doing stand here, be cool, be easy. But you know what? I am quite an excitable person. That's mm. my meant I, I am an excitable person. I'm the sort of person if I go raving, I'm loud. I, I will mm-hmm. rave, I will dance myself. I don't need any entertainment. I will go and I will just rock out and skank out because yeah. that's where my mind is free. Listening to music for me, my mind is completely free. Mm-hmm. And... I guess that's where the MCing thing comes from as well because I do it and it's something that I know I'm good at. So even though there's a lot of things that I don't believe in myself, that's something that I know I'm, I I, I can do it. Yeah. So when I'm doing it, although other people enjoy it, I'm doing it and it's like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And this is amazing. I can think of something and I can just say it and I can, and it's, it's the, it's the thing I need as well because I'm quite fidgety. So it's that fast paced mm-hmm. kind of energy thing for yeah. me. And, so those are the environments I need. And, I, you know, I guess from talking now, it's, I, I'm I'm at a place where there's a lot of people I talk to and I've started to realise that even if we have confrontation, it's not that they won't like me after that confrontation anymore. Yeah. It's just I'm putting my opinion across and they're putting their opinion yeah. across, you know. Or it's even um, where I can sit here now and, you know, I've talked about this and, yeah, you can run off and go, oh, God, you know, he's gone through whatever, but, like you said, there's there's a, there's a trust element there. Mm-hmm. And I've known you for so long and what you're doing has always been amazing anyway. And so seeing you do this is, is absolutely amazing. So for me, I'd rather share this story and do this than to continue to be the person that I don't want to be anymore. Yeah. And still try to put this facade up and do all these things that ultimately one day could just leave me abandoning family and not being here anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'd rather be open and share this. And like you said, I might have even thought of it that way, but if one person's gone through this and they then think, maybe I can talk, mm. then maybe it'll help others. But I think men need to start understanding and young boys need to start understanding and learning about themselves more. They really need to, because this whole putting up this bravado and doing this and doing that, it don't make you, it, it don't really make you a man at all. It doesn't. And, I, you know, I'm just thinking back to an episode I did with my older brother, Darren, um, and we, it was on male self-esteem. And, you know, he spoke about, you know, how when he was younger, he did suffer from low self-esteem, but as he got older, you know, things started to become a bit easier. So, but my brother's a bit like you. When he goes out, he goes out. He doesn't Mm. care what's going on. He's there having a good time, whatever, skanking out, whatever. Mm. You know, he will be like the first one in the lot and the last one to leave. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, So sometimes I want to even like go there with him. Big you up, Darren, man. Right. But do you know what I mean? And and the one thing I remember he said from from that podcast was that he's like, I have guys who will sometimes like 
scream, not not even screaming that hard, but like, look at me like, well, can't you just? But he's like, but I, but I know that they wish they could be me. Yeah, they wish they could let go and mm, be free. Mm. And that's the place I need to get to because it's um, you know, this is impacting at work and etc. It's like I know. I can see now that a lot of things are maybe it's because of how I present myself and I do well in mm-hmm. what I do, but I can't let go of that. I still need to make sure that they're pleased. And that's mm-hmm. the bit I need to let go of because it's like like what your brother was saying, Darren. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, we, we need to start talking. I, I, I'm open because it's just, I'd rather be open and share than continue living the way I'm living. Yeah. It's not good. You know, I've got some really good people around me. Um, I, I'm not at that stage anymore where I think, oh my God, my life's over. Because I used to think as soon as I turned 30, I thought, that's it, my life's over now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can still learn and you can still grow. And I'm always willing to do that. I'm still willing to learn. I'm still willing to grow. And I just want to be the best version of myself for the people that care about me and for people that I encounter as well when I come across them. I want to be the best version of myself. I want to be an advocate for what I do. I, I just, I want to be able to speak about this. And, you know, I, my line of work has kind of guided me towards this whole thing anyway. And I think that I will continue to be guided through that as well, mm-hmm. because through working in education, working with children, I want to be kind of their voice when they can't speak up. Yeah. And they don't know what to say. And I, I'm very happy to work with families as well. So that's kind of the line of work I find myself falling into mm-hmm. naturally. So at the end of the day, keep this up. This is what you need to do. Keep this up. Because this is, this is amazing. This is the platform mm-hmm. that's needed to get, like you said, there's all these other kind of podcasts and stuff and yes it's good to have individual sides it's good to have laughter it's good to have banter but at the same time we have to take some situations seriously yeah and the serious situations will allow more podcasts to open up with banter etc because people will be happier to laugh yeah people will be happier to be able to look at something and mm-hmm. laugh and not use it as a distraction right exactly actually just because they feel good i'm in a good place yeah or something funny today mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what we need to stop, the distractive behaviour. Yes. We need to work on fixing ourselves and that will fix... I'm not saying it will fix our community, but if we fix, start fixing ourselves and doing those things I was mentioning, working as a group, working as a community, we start building within ourselves mm-hmm. and then we start growing and really building a foundation yeah. rather just, than pockets of people doing everything yeah. somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And just create that kind of ripple effect. So, mm. you know. Um, so Mark will be joining us on the 28th of April. So he will be on the um, Male Depression and Self-Esteem yeah. panel. Um, so guys, tickets are still available. Um, so please head over to the website, www.lovelaybed.com. And if you, or forward slash the conversation, you can get tickets from there. Um, Mark, thank you. Dion. Thank you. Please, if you heard that message, it's imperative that you're there. It's local. It's not too far at all. It's what this platform and what is creating, it's needed. And I need your support as well. So everybody, go and get your tickets. Social medias, everything's there. It's love laid bare. Go and do it now, 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 like right now, right, right, right now. Make sure this come. Oh yeah, it's not coming up. You can cut all this bit out because I forgot it's, it's coming out. <laughs> no, it's later fine. On, it? That's fine. I'll say, well, what you need to do? I'm doing MC. That's what I was going to say. Oh, and buy that lovely bear. Make sure that you're there. Cold steps, big yourself up as well. I will be there. You know that kind of thing. Cold steps, I will be there. <laughs> no, but well, all jokes aside, thank you. Like it's, I think you know. Obviously, everybody comes, you know, open, but I feel like sometimes there are some people that are just way more open mm-hmm. than maybe 
the one before. So I want to thank you for being so oh, thank you. Um, genuine and fearless, you know, um, and having the courage to even come here because it's a big deal. You know, I've I've been invited onto other podcasts and Brain of Mind I've been doing this for a year. Mm. And I remember sitting in, on the mic and I'm like, you know, because yeah, yeah. even though I'm doing this, sometimes when when the it's tables are turned, yeah, yeah, I know it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's a hard experience. So, mm. you know, I genuinely do appreciate what it feels like to be on that other side, mm. you know. Um, so, yes, thank you again. Thank you. Um, guys, if you are affected by anything we've spoken about today, um, as you know, you can head over to our resources page. Um, I have a, a long list of different support services um i think we 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 have the asperger society autism we have loads of different other links for um depression anxiety and that type of thing as well so all that information is already there if i come across anything else i will add that to the resources page so please just you know um go there if you need any support you can also email me at lovelaidbear at gmail.com um do you want to tell us how we can contact you? Yeah, actually, so um, various ways. If you look at my Instagram, it's this is quite long-winded as well. It's Mr. Underscore O dot V underscore the underscore host. Uh, that's my kind of social media. You see kind of the accolades that I get from children, partly in my MC and just my kind of general day-to-day life and what I do. Um, if you want to talk about the business side of things, so I have a company called Simplified, but it's a play on words, so it's Simplified-Ed. Mark, M-A-R-K-S-I-M-P-L-I-F-Y dot E-D at gmail.com. And any kind of queries, any questions that you have, or if you're more, if you're intrigued to um, listen to more of my story, please feel free to reach out to me there as well. Okay. All right. Lovely. Well, guys, um, as always, I love you. Um, Take care and I will see you next week. Have a fantastic week, guys. It's a wrap. Bye. Good job. How are you feeling? All right, you know, like me, I don't, like I said, this. Digitally interactive talk show hosted by radio and podcast host Dion London. Do not miss out on your chance to be part of some of the most explosive debates concerning culture, life struggles and community. Our rotating panel of experts and experienced individuals will kick off the conversation with 50-50 audience interaction. Join us on the 28th of April 2019 at 4.30pm at the Croydon Park Hotel. Tickets are £15 plus booking fee and available on Eventbrite. Just search for Love Laid Bear. Be part of the conversation.